If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that. But we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families and then in communities and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use. But what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like... Here, in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves, being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. 
But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. We're starting off a new sermon series, uh, Just Church, Displaying God's Heart in an Unjust World. And before we move forward in the sermon series, I want us to to look back briefly to where Sean ended last week uh, in talking about being released in purpose. And he told the story of... Uh, this group of people praying on the island of Hebrides, and in the moment, in this in this moment of praying, there is this declaration of hunger and thirst from one of the men in the room, saying, "God, I am hungry, and I'm thirsty, and I and, and I am I'm I'm in this place of of hunger and faith and desperation. I'm calling on your promise to pour out your spirit on those who are hungry and thirsty." And in that moment, the Lord moved. He moved in that group of people praying, and he, he moved in the community around them among people who weren't even praying. And this, this, this revival that impacted that community and went out from there happened in, the, was it the 40s? In the, in the 1940s. And that, that, that simple declaration that that man made in that place of prayer of saying, I'm desperately hungry and I'm thirsty. And God, unless you move, I'm 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 lost. That that's a declaration of, of where we are as a people individually before the Lord, and what we're crying out for for Him to bring transformation and life in us. And unless His Holy Spirit moves in us, we we can't we can't make anything happen, right? But it's not just for us. It's it's also. For, for, the, for, the, for the world around us, the Lord has said, you, as my bride, as my church, I have called you 
to, to, to seek my kingdom, to live out my kingdom in the world around you, to, to bring glory to my name by the way that my spirit moves in and through you in the world around you. We have to have the spirit of God moving in us for us to do that, right? Can we do that in our own power? We cannot. So this place of, 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 of waiting and, and, and desperation, not from a place of despair, but from a place of hope and expectancy, believing and waiting on the Lord uh, to do what he says he's going to do, that, that's the foundation of living as a just church. We can't do it in our, on our own, in our own strength. We mess it up when we, when we do it in our own strength. Where I want to start this morning is gospel. The, the Greek word for gospel is evangelia, and it has, it has the, this, this root uh, back in the day of, in the, in the Roman world, of the proclamation of a coming king. And, and that's really what's happening. There, the, the gospel is about a king who, ask, who has come, who is bringing his kingdom through his church, and he's going to come again. He's a real king with a real kingdom. What's his kingdom like? We're going to talk about his righteousness and justice, which is something he unpacks uh, throughout the word. But I want you to, I want you to pause and, and, and think of this king. Uh, because it, it is this king and the good news, the gospel of his coming, his, his, the, 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 the satisfaction of our, of our sin, of our debt, right? In, in him laying down his life, uh, taking our place, taking our punishment. We're going to talk about retributive and, and restorative justice here in a second. And then being raised to walk, Right? I picked up Romans there. We're baptized with him in his death, raised to walk in newness of life. Why? For his glory. For his glory. And and for the sake of time, I'm not going to get to read Ephesians, but read the first chapter in Ephesians. It, It talks about, it just unpacks the incredible, the immensity of what the Lord, of what Jesus has done, what we have in him our adoption, our redemption, our reconciliation, uh, our inherit, we are co-heirs with Christ. And there's this phrase that, ha- that happens three times in the first few verses of Ephesians, to the praise of His glorious grace, to the praise of His glory, to the praise of His glory. It's about His glory. It has to be His glory because if it's, if it's for anything other than if we're pursuing justice, for anything other than his glory, again, it, it devolves into a human-centered endeavor, which is idolatry. There's, uh, there's this amazing organization called Fostering Hope that sprung up in New England to support churches who are wanting to, to make adoption and fostering a part of the culture of the church. And they, have, they, ha- they make this powerful statement that I want to highlight at this point, and that is the gospel is what compels us, and in their, in their case, to, to foster, which is justice. The gospel is what compels us to justice. The gospel is going to be what sustains us as we pursue justice, because it can't be an emotion. 
It can't, it can't, be, it can't be anything temporal in us. It has to be the gospel, the, the power of the Spirit of God sustaining us. And it's the gospel, it's the power of the gospel that's going to bring glory to Him. Calls us, and we experience it, right? We're talking, we're talking we have experienced justice personally because we have all been separated from God in bondage to sin, slaves to sin. Separated from God, meaning we were orphans. If you know, if you're if you're a child of God, you were an orphan, and and He has adopted you, declared you righteous, His righteousness over you, and has given you a new name and an inheritance. This is our story. Justice is our story. So we're compelled by the gospel to live out justice. Psalm eighty nine fourteen. This 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 is, and I want you to think about. I almost went to Revelation. Jesus reigning on the throne, uh, the nations surrounding His throne, worshiping Him. People from every tongue, tribe, and nation. This is this is this is what Psalms eighty nine says about His throne. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of Your throne. Love and faithfulness go before You. I'll read that again. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. As we contemplate the righteousness and justice of God, we, we, are, we are gazing into his beauty, into his glory. This is who he is. And this, is how, this is how he acts. Justice is a, is a hot, is, a, is kind of a buzzword, so especially if you add, I put the word social in front of it, social justice. But justice is a buzzword. And so it's, it's, it's really imperative for the body of Christ, for the church, to really delve into what is, how does God define justice? And how does God pursue justice? And how is he calling us as a people to pursue justice? And, uh, and, and, and there is, there, 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 there is this... this um, and even within the church, there's various associations with the word justice. And uh, there's a negative connotation sometimes to justice, or especially social justice, with, with, uh, it's, it's kind of an outflow of uh, liberation theology, which says that, that salvation is freedom for the oppressed, for, for, raising, for raising up the vulnerable, that that, 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 that is salvation. And, and it's cutting off uh, a, a significant portion of the gospel, which is which is Jesus, right, taking our sin, laying down His life, redeeming us. Uh, it, so, so we have to. We have. So, what I what I want to, if you're if you're wrestling with that, if that's something that you have wrestled with or are wrestling with it, what I want to invite you to is engage the word and don't don't pull away from liberation theology so much to the point where you completely disengage from our call to being a just people. Because we, we can't, well, that can't happen. There are actually two sides to the same coin. We're going to look at that more. Righteousness and justice. So how, 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 do, we, how do we define uh, righteousness? And, and I want to go, this, the video talked about uh, righteousness, tzedakah, and then justice, and, 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 which is mishpat. Just, uh, mishpat can be translated different things, but mishpat. Uh, which is justice. So, if if justice is uh, is if is an action 
and righteousness is the standard from which we act. What, what is the standard? And I think the, the question is better asked, who is the standard? Because God is righteous. Who he, who he is, is the standard. He, he defines what it is. And this, this, this concept of righteousness is a relational term. Uh, a couple things. One, it's not arbitrary. God's not just saying, here's some rules to follow. And if you follow these arbitrary rules that I'm, that I'm throwing out to see if you'll obey, then you'll be righteous. The rules aren't arbitrary at all. The, uh, righteousness is, is the character, is the person of God. He is good. He is right. He is true. He's beautiful. He's pure. It's who he is. Uh, it's not an abstract. Righteousness is not abstract. Uh, but it's tangibly expressed in the way God himself relates as the Trinity it's expressed in the way he relates to us as his people. And in, in, our, in a place of redemption, as he redeems us to himself, it's a covenantal term where it's how we, we, we are clothed. There, that, that picture in the video of being clothed in his righteousness. And it's not just an external thing, right? It's an internal thing as well. We are declared righteous by him. And so we can relate to a righteous God as a righteous people. And we also relate rightly to each other. It's a relational term. So God's character, righteousness, is the standard, and justice is the, is the accomplishing, the, the living out, the pursuit of that character. And mishpat comes from a, a, a verb, verb, shafat, which means to judge. And so, and so we are being called to judge rightly, to pursue to pursue with every avenue that we have what is right and good. And, and there, there are multiple scriptures where, where, especially in the Psalms, God is unpacking uh, uh, righteousness and justice flowing from his authority, his kingly authority. And we looked at that in Psalm 89. It's the foundation of the very throne of God. So there's a, there's a kingly authority that, that flows out of that. And, uh, and we, sing that, we see that uh, in, in God, as he's, as he's calling uh, leaders, his people out, they mentioned in the video, Abraham, let me read this, this verse about Abraham in Genesis eighteen nineteen. This is where God is having a conversation with himself as he, he, he comes to Abraham, promises him the, uh, Isaac, and then God's having a conversation about what's going to happen to, to Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is what God says with Abraham kind of listening in to the conversation. For I've chosen him, Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised to him. God's covenant with Abraham is woven, the concept of righteousness and justice is woven into his covenant with Abraham. David, uh, think about the Davidic covenant and God saying, God promising to David that, that, that you will have someone on the throne, <laughs> looking forward to Jesus. Second uh, Samuel uh, 8.15, so David reigned over all Israel and David administered justice and equity, and that, that is siddakah, righteousness, to all his people. First Kings 10.9, this is Queen Sheba as she's seeing the, the glory of, of Israel with Solomon at the helm, she says this to, to Solomon, Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever 
He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. There's, there's a, a kingly authority that, that is expressed as God pursues justice, as he accomplishes justice. And as you go on and look in, in the word of, of, how the, of how the word unpacks righteousness and justice, you'll begin to notice a pattern. And the pattern is, and you saw this in the video expressed in a very a, a, a powerful visual, is that God's justice is very often connected with the oppressed and the vulnerable, those who are not able to accomplish justice for themselves. And I want to, I want to read a, a few verses uh, here. Psalm 82, uh, 1 through 4, this is God saying, I'm not like any of the other idols that are worshipped around the world. I'm, I, I'm, I am different from the other gods because, and this, here, here we'll start in, actually this is verse 2, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. He has taken his place in the divine council and in the midst of God's. He holds judgment. There's no other God like him. He's just and he's righteous. Here's, here's more of his character unpacked in Psalm 146, 5 through 9. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord set the prison, sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. This is his character. This is who he is. And, and, and wouldn't it make sense that if we are called to be, to be made into his image, and, and I'm not just talking about the, the image of God. Yes, every one of us are made, created in the image of God. But I'm talking about being conformed into the image of Christ. That, that justice is not something that, you know, bless your heart, go, go, go do justice. You're the, just, you're, the, you're the radical just crew. Or you know, even, even in the video, it depicted uh, uh, people, uh, uh, this, the, the person, the, the follower of Jesus, entering, into the, entering in with the oppressed and calling for justice. It's not just, it's not just occasional acts, but it's if you, if, you, if, you, if you poke us as children of God, we bleed righteousness and justice. It's a part of who we are. And, it, and it, it, it's woven into our thoughts and the way we see the world around us. It's, it's, it's what determines how we spend our resources, our time, our money, our talents, our gifts. You know, as families, it's, it's what's, what we talk about at home. Another, another in, interesting aspect of God's righteousness and his justice is that when you look at the prophets in the Old Testament as they're confronting Israel. And again, this was depicted in, the, in the, the video of, yes, Israel was redeemed out of Egypt where they were being oppressed. 
But in turning away from the Lord, they become uh, communities that oppress the vulnerable. And the prophets, in coming to confront Israel, they confront two things at once that are actually tied together. Let me read, let me read this. Uh, Isaiah 16, and I'm going to start in verse... Uh, Isaiah 1, I'm going to start in verse 16. This is, this is Isaiah, the prophet, confronting Israel and Judah. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow, though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Then I'm going to continue in verse 21. How the unfaithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe, bribe and runs after, after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Their unfaithfulness to God them turning to, to other things to satisfy them, them, them pursuing their own greed and their own selfishness and oppressing others in the process was directly linked to their idolatry. And it's the same for us. When we, when we choose other things other than the Lord, when we choose to elevate other things, whether that be our reputation, our education, uh, our money, uh, our um, entertainment, it could be sexual pleasure. All When we choose other things, it's not just a barrier in our relationship to God. It's not, it's not that he's not, it's not just that he's not receiving glory from us. But another, another implication of that or consequence of that is that we are not living out justice. We are actually oppressing and this is, I want to be careful in, the, in my vocabulary right now um, based on who's in the room, but whether it's, whether it's talking about Me Too or even the Conquer series, this, this, the Conquer series that was mentioned uh, is, is, is so incredible because we're talking about freedom, freedom that from, from a place of addiction that not only destroys our souls, but it puts us in the place of becoming exploiters. We are participating in abuse and exploitation. That's so hard. And, 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 and the, way, the way it affects our own, we, you know, we, we suffer from bondage too. The Lord wants to redeem us out of those places. Not just for our sake. Yes, because he loves us, but because he is passionate about seeing justice accomplished in the earth. It's who he is. And, and you know, even in the situation that, that, uh, that's going on right now uh, with, with, the whole, with the Supreme Court um, confirmation hearings, I just, I just can't imagine how grieved the Lord is. And, and this, is, this, uh, this is, has nothing to do with party, you know, Democrats or Republicans, but, but issues of justice being used for political gain, used by the powerful for, for political gain. 
It's just so grievous and so ugly. And we as the church cannot not enter in. We, we cannot let the world define how we engage on, these, uh, on, on issues of justice. Because if we do, if we, let, if we let politics rule the issues of justice, then we are sidelined. We have to enter in. And, and we're, we're going to be misunderstood. It's not going to come out right all the time. The issues are more complex than, than I can understand. And, and there's, even to have a conversation about things, it's like you have to, have, you have to throw out so many caveats <laughs> to, to explain your position before you can even have the conversation. But if we stay silent, we are abdicating who the bride of Christ has been called to be. We have to enter in because we are called to do justly. To love mercy. Mercy is not on display right now in what's going on with, with, with this whole situation because, because power and control is at the center. Humility. Are we seeing humility played out? No. And who suffers the most for it? The vulnerable. It's the same thing for something like the, the, the earthquake and tsunami that's happening in, not the same thing, but uh, there's a, a tie that's happening in the, in the tsunami in, in Indonesia, is who suffers the most when destruction comes? Those who are already vulnerable. The, the rich don't suffer the most. Yeah, they, they stand a lot to lose, but it's the vulnerable who, who, who are further exploited, further oppressed. The church has to enter into these places. And then we come to Jesus. The king. He is righteous and just. Our king is righteous and just. He's beautiful. And he calls us to follow him into places where he is pursuing righteousness and justice. Can I read, can I read about who he is and how, how he is? Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. It's not just that he is pursuing justice and accomplishing justice, but it's how he's doing it. Do you see that here? He's doing it in gentleness and tenderness. He's doing, he's doing it with restoration in mind, not judgment, not punishment. Luke 4, 18 through 22, this is Jesus on, on the front end of his ministry, entering into the, to the synagogue. They're pulling out the scroll for the, for the scripture reading for the day. And, and he steps in and he reads this from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's come to usher in righteousness and justice 
He's the king. And we get, he's inviting us to pursue his kingdom, to seek his righteousness, right? And his kingdom above all else. You know, I was thinking one of the, one of the, one of the biggest barriers in my life of pursuing justice is fear. If I take, if I take this risk, and it's really most about my family. I'm not, I'm not wealthy, so I don't, have, I don't have anything to really risk there. And when I was single, I did a lot of crazy stuff. Uh, I took a lot, a lot of risks, it, it, you know, going to different places around the world. And uh, compared to others, I did nothing. You know, it's, uh, we're not comparing here. But, but, uh, but when I got married and then had kids, it all changed. And, and, and the place, these places of fear that I've wrestled with, and if the Lord's calling me to, 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 to pour my life out and in, in, in entering in with the vulnerable, it's going to cost me something. And the question is, is it worth it? We have to look at what the cost is, and then we have to ask the Lord, is, is it worth it? And it is worth it. Uh, and, and, and on the fear issue, two things. With, with gentleness and with, with burning flames. You know that picture, that, new te- or that Revelation's uh, uh, picture of Jesus. With tenderness and gentleness and with burning eyes, he says, do not be afraid. Hallelujah. Do not walk in fear. And he also says, count the cost, because following me means taking up your cross. And so is it, is it going to cost us? Yes, it's going to cost us. And, you know, with, with, with Sarah's health, she had cancer before we went to, to uh, Uganda, but she got a lot sicker in Uganda. And, and was that was, was part of the cost of us following Jesus in, in Uganda? Yeah, it was. Was it worth it? Absolutely. And is, are there been places where we continue to have to grieve and wrestle with, with what, 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 what we are journeying through? Yes, but we've never questioned. Well, let me take that back. I think if you don't, if you're, if you don't grieve, then you're not questioning. So, yes, we, I have wrestled personally. I thought my wife has, has more faith than I do. And those of you who know Sarah Joy would probably agree. But, but, but in, in terms of wrestling through that fear, even, even uh, fostering for us, there's, there's wrestling with how is it going to impact our family and, and you know, our, our, our journey of, of uh, taking a teen into our family. There's things that I had to wrestle through. And uh, the, the reality is, is that when we follow Jesus to those places, he's there, right? He's already there. And we get to know, we get to know more of him. We, 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 we know Jesus more when we follow him into those places of brokenness and vulnerability. And, and it's, so it's, it's worth it. The cost is worth it. Uh, Christopher, would you come? We're going to respond to the Lord. And as Christopher comes, I, um, I want to say I want to share just a, a little a little anecdote that I shared at the end of, of the first service, and that is, one point I was uh, with with my family at Haymarket, and there's uh, those of you who have, who may have been to Haymarket that the atmosphere uh, is not necessarily a warm one, especially in the way the vendors interact with people, and the way they treat people uh, others it, it's the dynamic is crazy to me, but the way that 
people who are not from America are treated is, is horrendous. They're screamed at. They're cursed at. Uh, they're, they're just treated horribly. And uh, I feel like I haven't been there as much, but the, the atmosphere is changing a little bit, I hope, I think. But anyway, we're, we're at uh, Haymarket, and uh, there was a, a gentleman who was interacting with one of the, the stall owners, and the stall owner was getting upset, so I, I kind of watched what was going on. And it looked like the, 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 the guy who was upsetting him was uh, under the influence of something, and he looked like he might not have a home. Um, so I, I went, I interjected myself and asked the guy if I could get him something to eat. And the inter, the exchange wasn't very helpful. He began hitting on my wife and was being really rude to, to, to us. And I was like, okay, we're done here. <laughs> whatever, whatever, no, whatever noble thing I was trying to do, we're done. And, and so I, I kind of tried to distance myself, uh, us from him. And I've shared this this before. Some of you probably know this. But anyway, a few minutes later, he comes back again. And I'm thinking, oh, mercy. Here we go again. But he walks up, and he takes my hand. And he looks at me in the eyes. And his eyes clear up. And he said, your father wants you to know that he sees you. That he's so proud of you. And he loves you. And then he turned around and walked away. I wasn't. I wasn't seeing. I, I, don't, I don't think I was seeing in those moment that moment what the Lord was seeing. I don't know what the Lord was seeing right there. But when we enter in, we find we find the Lord there. He's there. Beyond what we could see or imagine, or can even I can't explain that theologically. What 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 I experienced there. But He was there. And what I want to I want to ask you to stand up. And two things. One. I want to ask you, encourage you, invite you to ask the Lord to help you see with his eyes this week. Would you see and would he stir compassion in our hearts so that we stop and we interact, we enter in. Not just we, not just we, we don't just do something, but we actually enter in into the journey of someone who might be struggling. Uh, the the other is is just a simple. If you want more of the Lord's heart for justice, if you want if you want if you want Him to show you what does it mean for me personally, to live out His righteousness and justice, just ask Him. He wants to He wants to lead you in that, and uh, I, I encourage you to respond with, with you know posture. I feel like is really significant. So respond in a posture where you're connecting with the Lord and inviting Him to lead you in this place of righteousness and justice.